Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. Listen now for the word of the Lord. See, my servant will be successful. He'll be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep, and we all turned to our own way. And the Lord was punished, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to a slaughter, and like sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was, rich, he was a rich man at his death, because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After the anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death, and he counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. For the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. We have pondered hope peace, and joy. And now they are pivotal pieces of the life Father promises us in Jesus. But these three are dearly bought as our scripture reading painted so graphically. Nothing but the deepest and most faithful love could compel someone to endure what the suffering servant endured for us. We don't really even have the words to comprehend or express this truth. Jesus said that no one that no one has greater love than this, than they who lay down his life for their friends. So because of Jesus, we are called to believe, to have faith in the word of the Lord spoken by the prophet Isaiah, because it has already happened. Amazing love has come for us all. Today, we relight the candles of hope, 
peace and joy, and then light the candle of love. Dear God, speak to us today during our time together. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Love is a fickle word. Most dating couples do the dance of getting the right timing on how to say that word to their partner. Hollywood dramatizes such scenarios and their fallout, but maybe Hollywood gets the implications of this word to far greater degree than you and I. We toss around love in our affinity for movies, food, places, and people. These statements, I love pizza and I love my wife, hold two very different connotations, yet utilize the same word. Fundamental to love is the idea of commitment. When you love something, you are describing such value that you will seek its well-being. Let me say that again. When you love something, you are ascribing such value that you will seek its well-being. You are committed to it. Therefore, love is not a feeling that happens to you. Love is an action. If we chase down some potential implications of such truth, then we can see love carries risk, cost, and other-centeredness. It's with this understanding that I'd like to introduce the statement, God is love. Meaning God revealed in scripture and experienced today does not simply act loving, but is love. At this moment, some of you nod your head in agreement. Yes, God is love. You affirm in your hearts, in your head. However, I know there are those of you who have hesitancy with that sentiment. That God is love, if not outright rejection of that statement. You look at your life, you look at the world, you look at another religion or the idea of just being spiritual that gives you justification for rejecting that statement. That God is love. To both groups, those of you who affirm that statement and those of you who maybe hesitancy or reject, or I should say all of those groups, you aren't alone. It's the human condition to try to figure out what love is and can that love be received. In fact, the scriptures address these doubts and affirmations about God's commitment to humanity. Yes, doubts, skepticism, and the reality of a loving God are not mutually exclusive. You can hold both. You can be curious. You can be open. You can be confused. You can have some doubts. You can seek. And you can believe that God is love in his being and essence. One such time period where this tension is lived out came when the nation of Israel returned to their land upon being freed from exile in Babylon. They were wrestling with this exact question. Where are you, God? If you love us, 
Can we experience your love? Can we see the benefits of your love? Show us who you are. They had serious questions about the God that they were to be his people and what that looked like. The God they believed in, his character. God chooses a prophet to speak to these people with their questions, their doubts, their skepticism, their hurts, their hang-ups. And as God chooses a prophet to speak to this people, precisely where they are, knowing what they've gone through, knowing that he is wanting something more for them, to be a representative of his love to all peoples and their failure to do that and actual rejection of that. And all that that comes in that tension and that messiness. He speaks to a prophet who then passes on these words to this very group of people. And in the midst of this prophet's words, this prophet Isaiah, there are four songs, four poems, which describe a future suffering servant who will present, represent God and prove that God is one who keeps his commitment to love his people despite their inability to receive his love and reflect that same love to the world. Isaiah chapter 52 begins the fourth poem describing this suffering representative of Yahweh, the name for God throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And so let me break this poem down into five sections. First, verses 13 through 15 of chapter 52 describe how the servant was repulsive but redemptive. Second, the servant suffers and lives in rejection according to chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Third, in verses 4 and 6 of chapter 53, the servant will be for the Israelites their sin bearer. When they have missed the mark, this servant will bring about correction and restoration. Now here I emphasize that this promise would be for them more on this in a moment. Fourth, the servant will die in innocence. And lastly, the poem returns to the servant's success and that he was crushed but victorious in verses 10 through 12 of chapter 53. Throughout the poem, the servant suffers. In verses 4 through 6, it says, Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds, and we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. At first glance, or maybe the assumption, if not for us, then for the original audience, would have been that the humiliation of the servant, the humiliation that the servant undergoes, is a result of evil. The promise is that Yahweh's servant is suffering as a result of identification with the wrongdoing of other people, and as a result of his ministry to them, and suffering without protest. In the context of exile, Israel has been suffering as a result of its own wrongdoing. And it's now protesting at Yahweh's long-term abandonment 
of it or the perception of Yahweh's abandonment, the perception of God's abandonment of them. God still intends to send away even in their refusal to accept his love, meaning God has a present waiting for them even if they aren't ready to show up and receive it. God intends to send the present of a suffering servant leader who will bring them back to fullness, who will seek their well-being even when they reject the way of well-being themselves. Meaning, God has a present waiting for you, even if you aren't ready to show up and receive it. The beauty of God is that he didn't stay at a distance with his present. He promised to bring it to us. God wants to seek you out and give you a beautiful and wonderful gift. And we have the choice of whether we want to receive it or not. But God is willing to risk himself for the sake of you. God's power is at its greatest, not in his destruction of the wicked, but in his taking all the wickedness of the earth into himself and giving it and giving back love. God absorbs the cost of wickedness and suffering, and shame, and pain, and returns blessing. God absorbs the cost, and returns blessing. And we have difficulty with the idea of absorbing cost. Say you get into a fender bender. Your car was hit, and there's this dent. First, you can ask the person who hit you to cover the cost of fixing it. And the reality is that they cannot cover the cost of fixing it. They have an inability to fix their own car, let alone yours. So the more difficult option in that scenario is to absorb the cost. Two ways this shows. The first is choose to not have it fixed, knowing that if you ever decided to resell the car that was just hit, it will have lesser value um, if you try to resell it because of all the dents and the dings, and in this case, this fender bender. Or two... You could choose to fix the dent out of your own pocket. Humanity is both the wrecker and the wrecked. And God loves us so much that he absorbs the cost by paying to fix not just one car, but both. Humanity is God's prized possession. And he doesn't ask us to fix ourselves because we have an ability to do just that. God chooses to absorb the cost into himself so that we can be made whole. That is the scandal. That is God's love. It's to absorb the cost of our wickedness and rejection and to replace that, to return that with favor and blessing. And God doesn't pretend there isn't brokenness. Earlier I mentioned that the servant would be Israel's sin bearer. The people of God were looking forward to the one who would declare innocent the guilty, who would represent the family of God and the world in the way they were supposed to, to fulfill the promise of everlasting joy and bringer of peace, bringer of wholeness. And for us, Advent is about us looking back at this person's coming. The person, the person of Jesus. Later in the scriptures, 
after Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and was resurrected, his followers recognized that he fulfilled the role of the suffering servant, that he sought their well-being, that he took the rejection, the shame, the humiliation that we deserve for our wickedness, that, that distances ourselves from God and others by our own choice and our own will and says, no, I'm going to replace that with blessing. I'm going to turn evil with good. But that also evil will get its due. That the bill will be paid. That the cost of restoration will be paid. And so his disciples, his followers, were recognizing and living out the reality of this truth, the reality of love in their life. And they were spreading this to others. And in Acts chapter 8, one of Jesus' followers encounters a eunuch reading Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there is water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized the eunuch. The good news that Philip told this eunuch is the same news that I offer you today. God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation. God himself has come to rescue and renew you, your life, through the person and work of Jesus. God was not only acting in Jesus Jesus is God. Jews and Muslims would only agree with that first part of this assertion. But God has not just spoken to humanity as in Islam. God came to respond to the human condition. He sees your condition. He sees when you do something wrong and you feel this overwhelming weight of guilt. And you're not sure quite how to fix it. He, he sees uh, the circumstance that you find yourself in your life and you wonder, is something wrong with me? And he sees as you assess the world around you and you wonder, do I have the power to actually make a difference, to promote healing and well-being around me? He sees the guilt. He sees the shame. He sees the fear. And he responds, not with empty promises, but with words of hope, with words of power, with words of promise. Love is a difficult thing. What makes someone feel loved by you is not that they are perfect before you, but that they, with their imperfections, are still graciously embraced by you. Love is a difficult thing. God sees you precisely as you are, and he loves you. He wants your well-being, and he initiated that well-being in Jesus by sending us to 
a suffering servant Savior who shows us what it's looked like to live in connection with Him and live in right connection with others, to seek the well-being of all, to show us what it's looked like to be truly human and then pay the penalty on the cross, but show that death is not the end, that death can be defeated on the other side of death. There is a resurrection. There is hope. There is more than just death. And so God sees you and embraces you. And he says, come home. You are still loved and wanted. Despite what you've done, despite who you feel you are, and even if you've tried to distance yourself from those feelings, when you've tried to, to, to work your way to think, I can be good or I am good, he says, let me be your goodness. Your guilt paid, your shame cleansed, your fear replaced with confidence. You have innocence, you have honor, you have power because of Jesus. And God doesn't just do this and ask someone else to pay that cost, to absorb that cost. See, Christ is both the messenger of that good news and the message. The suffering servant song clearly describes how this servant will die in order for us to be made whole. But the servant song doesn't just describe how the servant will die, but how he lives. He lives the life that we should have lived, the life that maybe we even desire to live, but we know that, that we can't quite live it. And in Jesus living the life that we should have lived in, bringing us into the family, he says the pressure's off. You're welcome. That he doesn't live as just our replacement. He brings us along and helps us live the family code. The active force of all creation puts on a frail body and lives among us. To say, you aren't alone. You haven't been forgotten. Let me be well-being. Let me bring well-being. See, Jesus stepping out of heaven and walking among us, being the suffering servant called the incarnation, wasn't just the logical step which preceded death. It was the loving step that gave meaning to the death of Jesus. And in every moment, Jesus sought the well-being of others who couldn't pay him back, even if they wanted to. The purpose of human existence is not to try to achieve that love to not necessarily earn that love, but to receive that love that has come to us in Jesus. And in receiving that love and embracing that and letting that transform our heart, knowing that, that we are loved, that we are enough, that we've been declared innocent, that we are a part of the family. That we don't have to be in control. We don't have to fear others. We don't have to earn our place. And then even the good things that are out in the world won't truly satisfy us as being received and loved, being adopted into God's family. That the access to that, that reality has come to us in Jesus. And as we receive that, we can then live that. 
creating an ecosystem of other-focused, self-giving love. We can give it freely. We can absorb the cost because we know the one who paid the ultimate price, who absorbed the ultimate cost. And so for some of you, freely giving love comes easy. You know you are loved by God and therefore can be generous and be gracious and repay evil with good. Knowing the hope is that all will be made right someday. It's not that, that God never deals with evil. It is He will deal with it someday. He deals with it in Jesus. But for others of you right now, love seems difficult. The idea of seeking the well-being of someone who has wronged you, slighted you, or even absorbing uh, a financial or time cost to do something good seems so out of the realm of possibility that there's no way you could act in a loving way towards them. Rather than look to do or go or even maybe feel the weight of, well, I should be like this. What is wrong with me when I'm not? Rather than place some external standard, rather than, than self-evaluate, rather than even maybe try to justify this moment, determine right or wrong in your own eyes, rather than do all of that, would you be willing to receive? To those of you who doubt the goodness or lovingness of God, I'm not asking you to set aside your doubts, your questions, your concerns, would you be willing to simply receive some love? To not necessarily take down your walls, to not enter into something that you're not quite ready to, would you be willing to receive some love? Our family at Generations Church isn't perfect. We don't have it all together. But we do believe in a God who loved us so much that he sent Jesus. And the Spirit has been sent to show us what it looks like to love and live now. And so we are attempting to live out of that love, to simply respond to that love. And so would you be willing to let us care for you? Would you be willing to let us demonstrate God's love in a real and maybe even tangible ways? I understand that maybe upon hearing this, that you aren't ready. That's okay. Because of Jesus, we intend to work for the good, demonstrating his love to the community and to you. Whenever you're ready, to receive it. And maybe you aren't even ready to receive it yet. We still love you. We still want to seek your well-being and we're committed to being that well-being in our community. And we will wait patiently for the day when you are ready to respond to God's affirmation of you, to respond to God's love of you. Wherever you're at, Wherever you find yourself, know that God is committed to you so much so that he has sent, that he is willing to absorb costs, that he is willing to absorb your rejection and return that for love.
And if it's hard to believe that, a maybe a spirit God, an ethereal God, uh, what seems so distant right now would do that. Would you let his people, would you let his church, would you let us at Generations care for you? And as I offer that question, to those of you at Generation Church who call Generation Church your family, may we be committed to being because of Jesus' people and the everyday things of life, returning evil with good, blessing, seeking the well-being. Some of you right now are even serving at Santa's Posse, trying to live this out. And when you are weary and worn out, and when you're not sure you can put another foot out in front to, to, to give another chance, remember and be grateful that he was blessed, that he bore our sickness, that he carried our pain. That he was despised and rejected. That we didn't value him. That he was oppressed and afflicted. And he didn't open his mouth. No, he chose to love and live for us. May we receive that love and live accordingly. May we live love this season.